0: Thank you once again, Lord, for letting us be together. Uh, it's so difficult to go through life and have to handle the, the challenges and the trials and the things that we face. And Lord, it's a whole lot easier when we can face those things with someone else to encourage us and walk that path with us and help us. So, Lord, we, we're grateful for the ministry that you've given us and for the privilege to be able to, to gather every week. And study your word. And so, Lord, today as we open the Bible, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to learn, to grow, and give us something we need to encourage us for this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Last week we talked about Elijah. And last week we talked about Elijah the man, the man of victory, the man of, uh, of character. Elijah was the kind of guy that you would probably not call a wimp. I mean, Elijah was a pretty powerful man. He was not afraid. He withstood 450 prophets of Baal. He confronted Ahab and Jezebel, who the Bible says about Ahab, he was the most wicked man that had ever ruled over Israel at the time. It also said that not only was he the most wicked man, but the most wicked thing that he ever did was he married Jezebel, who was the daughter of of a man whose very name had in it Baal, the false god that they worship. Some of you may remember several weeks ago, Dr. Carney, when he talked about this, he talked about um, this idea of God is not very uh, lenient on people who treat children the wrong way or who are hurtful to children. What he was referring to was the fact that in Baal worship, They literally offered children as human sacrifices to Baal. And that's what he was referring to. Baal worshipers literally murdered children and burned them alive in sacrifices to this God. Jezebel's father was heavily involved in that. And that's why when Ahab married Jezebel, she got him to institute Baal worship among the Israelites. And they were actually doing it in the very place that God intended for them to worship God. So Ahab was a very wicked man, backed by a very wicked woman who was involved in demonic worship. Elijah never hesitated to confront them. So we're not talking about a guy who's a wimp and scared and fearful and meek and mild and afraid to do anything. We're talking about a very powerful man. We're also talking about a man that saw a lot of victories. He went to Ahab and looked him square in the eye and said, it's not going to rain for three years until I tell you it's going to rain. In other words, I'm the guy that God has sent to tell you it ain't going to rain, and until I say so, God says it ain't going to rain again. So if Ahab wanted to get mad at anybody, he can't reach God, but he could whack Elijah if he wanted to. Elijah didn't hesitate to stand toe-to-toe with him and tell him that. God knew there would be an issue, so he told Elijah to run. While Elijah was running and hiding, God miraculously provided for him. By the brook he gave him water, through the ravens he fed him. The brook dried up. He moved him to a widow's house. The widow had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and as long as Elijah was there, God miraculously multiplied the flour and the oil so that it never ran out. They didn't go to the market and buy any more. Nobody came and delivered a truckload of supplies. It never ran out. Miraculously. Then the widow's son died. And she said, why did you come here and cause my son to die? Elijah said, give me your boy. He took the boy, he prayed, and God brought the boy back to life through Elijah. God used Elijah to raise a little boy from the dead. So we're not talking about a guy who doesn't understand the power of God. We're not talking about a guy who is weak and mealy-mouthed and afraid of people. We're talking about a powerful, strong-willed man. That was last week. Now look at chapter 19, and let's look at this strong, powerful man's collapse. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with a sword in case you don't know what's happened Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal said "Build an altar put a sacrifice there call on your God I'll call on mine the one that answers with fire let him be God well the 450 prophets of Baal they screamed and hollered and cut themselves and did everything nothing happened Elijah. by the way they jumped on the altar tore it all down Elijah rebuilt it Put the sacrifice on there and then dump 12 barrels of water on top of it just to make sure that there was no doubt that God did this. He soaked it. There was a trench around the altar that the barrels of water had so much water it filled the trench around the water. He prayed and he said, God, now show these people who is really God. The Bible says fire fell from heaven, not only burned up the sacrifice, but lapped up all the water that was around the sacrifice and in the trench. Thus, God pretty much proved he was God. Then Elijah said, I want you to take those 450 prophets of Baal. I want you to kill every one of them. Never again will they teach our people to worship a false god or murder children. And they did. Took every one of them and executed them. By the way, don't feel bad. They murdered children. They deserve to be executed. Then Ahab, great man that he was, runs back to his wife. You know what Elijah did? I just can't believe what he did. And Jezebel, being the man of the house, said, I will take care of this for you. By the way, later on there's a vineyard that Ahab wants. He couldn't get it. So he did the same thing. Went wine to his wife. And she said, I'll get it. She had the guy murdered. So she could give the, the vineyard to Ahab. That's where we are. When we come to chapter 19 and verse 1. Ahab is telling Jezebel what happened. And what Elijah did. Now look at verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger. It wasn't Ahab sending the message. Jezebel is sending the message. Now, Elijah evidently had not been afraid of Jezebel or Ahab up until this time. He definitely wasn't afraid of Ahab, because Ahab was basically a wimp. He didn't really do anything. The Bible says Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, those prophets you killed. Basically, Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow I'm going to have you murdered. You are on my hit list, and I have put out a contract on you, and by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you will be dead. And if you're not, may the gods curse me. Now, if you know anything about this woman, and you know what she's caused Ahab to do to totally destroy the nation of Israel, this is like the godfather, or mother, of the greatest mafia family known to man, saying... I got a contract out on you. It's not the kind of thing that you say, yeah, right. This is a pretty serious threat. Now, remember what Elijah's like. Look what happened next. Verse 3 Elijah was afraid and ran. Here is Elijah, the powerful, victorious, Strong leader, and the Bible point blank says he was afraid, and he ran. You know, it doesn't matter how strong or confident we ever become in our life, and there's nothing wrong with that. All of us are susceptible to fear. Everybody. There's always something Satan can throw into our life, To create fear. And by the way, don't feel bad. If a man like Elijah experienced fear, then it's okay. When fear becomes wrong is when we let it change and destroy our life. And keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. So that's what we want to look at now. When Elijah became afraid and he ran, what happened? Well, I want to share with you real quick. Two causes of his collapse. The first one is fear. Let me give you three things that he was afraid of. Number one, he was afraid of his for his physical life. He was afraid of death. He was afraid of dying. I want you to look at chapter 19, verses 3 and 4 describe what's going on. And the Bible says, Elijah was afraid and ran for, for his life. He was afraid of death. He didn't want to die. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Look down with me at verse number 10. By the way, God in this passage has met him. He said, why are you here, Elijah? Verse 10 is Elijah's response. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In verse 14, God is asking the same question, and he gives the same answer. I'm the only one left. Nobody else is following you. They're all following Baal. They're killing the prophets of God, and now they're trying to kill me too. He was scared of dying. He was afraid for his life. Physical death can create fear. By the way, as a believer, do you know what predominantly creates fear when you think about death? Hopefully it's not dying itself. For if you know God and you know Christ, our attitude toward death ought to be that of the Apostle Paul where he said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul actually said, you know, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But for me to stay here, it's better for you. Paul actually wanted to go to heaven. For a believer to die is nothing more than graduation into heaven. And, And remember, in heaven there is no death. There is no pain. There is no sorrow. There are no taxes. There are no elections. There is no sickness. There's nothing but good. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't want to live there forever? However... If you don't know Christ, and you don't know that heaven's your home, death can be very, very fearful. But for a believer, the honest truth is, even though God knows my heart, if I drop dead with a heart attack the next 10 seconds, don't feel sorry for me. I'm where I want to be. However, is there a little bit of apprehension in my heart about it? Absolutely. You know why? I'm not really sure about the event. Is it going to be a heart attack? Is it going to be a car wreck? Is it going to be cancer? I mean, there is a little bit of apprehension. I'm not afraid of death itself. But what we fear is the unknown. I know where I'm going. That's not unknown. But the process to get from here to there, that can cause a little bit of apprehension. I watched my mother and my father die with physical diseases. Neither of which do I want to follow in their footsteps? However, I know very well that both of those things are hereditary and I very well could. So there is a little apprehension, but I'm not afraid of physical death. Elijah was. He was scared of dying. Number two, second thing that caused his fear, he was afraid of people. Primarily, a woman named Jezebel. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 that the fear of man brings a snare. When you and I are more afraid of people than we are of God or what he wants us to do, then we always get into trouble. And that's what's starting to happen to Elijah. He became more afraid of this woman than he was of what God had done and wanted to do in his life. And by the way, remember, this is a guy who's watched God do some unbelievable things. If God can help take care of 450 prophets, why can't he help take care of one woman? This big, strong man now afraid of this one woman. The truth is, a lot of times the fear of man can become very real in our life. We do become afraid of people. We can be afraid of what people think about us. We can be afraid of what people might say about us. We can be afraid of a boss who's not exactly the greatest person to work for. I mean, there's all kinds of things that human beings can bring in our life that cause fear. Remember this, the fear of God is more important than the fear of man. and The fear of man will always bring experience. Don't ever be afraid of man or a human being more than we are the fear and respect for God. He's always bigger than they are. Number three, Elijah was afraid of dying. He was afraid of people, but he was also afraid of personal loneliness. You ever been afraid of being lonely? You ever been afraid, especially in our group, which is mostly singles, you ever been afraid that you might never get married? You live your whole life by yourself all alone? That's a common thought among single adults. First of all, let me say this. If that's what God wants for you, then you don't have to worry about it because it won't be a bad thing. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to you in your life. If God doesn't want you that way, he's got somebody for you. Just be patient because he'll make sure they come along. What you don't want to do is get so afraid that you jump and grab the first thing that comes along and end up in a mess. You don't want to do that. We talked about it last week. Marriage in the will of God is the closest thing to heaven on earth. Marriage outside the will of God is the closest thing to hell on earth that you will ever experience. And you don't want it. Okay? So it doesn't mean that marriage, you don't have to work at it because you do. But when you marry to the right person, you learn to work through those problems and it's like being in heaven. Ask my wife over there. It's like heaven, ain't it, babe? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, closest we're ever going to get, I guess. All right. Okay, so three things cause his fear. Physical death, which is common. I mean, that's normal. Number two, people. We, we all face that sometimes. And then number three, Personal loneliness. Elijah said, they're killing everybody, nobody's living for God, and I'm all alone doing this by myself. All three of these things are very common causes of fear. You know, there was something else that caused this collapse, and that was fatigue. I want you to look at chapter 19. Look down with me at verse number um, 4. The Bible says, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Basically, Elijah was exhausted. And if you think back about what he's just been through, confronting Ahab, living by the brook, then living with the widow, then going back to Ahab, confronting the 450 prophets of Baal all by himself, having them murdered, telling Ahab what was going on, Ahab telling Jezebel, Jezebel's threat, him becoming afraid and now running for his life. I mean, it's not like the guy's been sitting at home watching the NFL on Sunday afternoon. I mean, he's had a pretty rough life. He's been through some pretty severe emotional events. And basically, he's just worn out. We don't have time to read it all, but if you read the rest of the chapter, you find that God came to him and brought him some food. And the angel of the Lord said, get up and eat. Elijah got up. He ate the first time. And then the Bible says he laid back down and went back to sleep. The angel put some more food there woke him up again. And he said, you got to get up and eat because the journey that you're on is too much for you. Without rest and nourishment, you're not going to make it. Dr. Carney mentioned this last week. There comes a time in our life as believers where we've got to come aside and just rest. We can't go, and if you're like me, I'm a workaholic. And my wife's probably worse than I am. My wife and my daughter, they work all the time. There comes a time in our life, though, that you can't go on like that. Physically, the human body can't do it. Whenever you get tired... And run down. Do you have a tendency to be. More irritable. Than at other times. Like me. I think we all do don't we. It's a normal physical phenomenon. We need rest. You know there's a reason in the book of Genesis. Why the Bible says. In six days God, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything in them. And on the seventh day he rested. Now I got a question for you. Did God need to rest. Absolutely not. He's God. Then why did he put a seventh day in there? It wasn't for him. It's for us. It's for us. Because we need that. It's interesting that at a point in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 and 31, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling and preaching and working, and the disciples were just exhausted. They didn't even had a chance to eat. And Jesus went to them in Mark 6, verses 30 and 31, and he said, you're not going to make it. Come with me apart for a little while. Let's get some nourishment and rest. And you know, sometimes, and and you'll see this when we talk about some of our plans for next year, sometimes we just all need to get together and have a little bit of fun and just relax. And we're going to do that. We're going to do a lot of that next year. We need to be with each other, encourage one another, and just relax and have a little bit of fun. Everybody needs that. Elijah needed it. Now, let me close with this. There is a cure. If you read the story of Elijah, and Dr. Carney mentioned it this morning, he didn't kill himself. He didn't die. He went on, got a replacement, Elisha, was carried out in a chariot of fire. By the way, one of two men in the Bible that never died, interesting enough, Elijah and Enoch So Elijah ended up pretty good. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he was one of the three guys that showed up. So the deal here is he wanted to kill himself, but he didn't, and he ended up great. Why? What happened? Okay, let me give you this real quick, and uh, we don't have time to read it all, but let me give it to you, and uh, you can write it down if you want to. I will put the notes out online, so if you don't get all of them, you can get them later. All right, number one, he ran toward God. In the passage, the Bible says he left Jezreel, went to Beersheba, then headed down into the wilderness. This is the wilderness of sin on his way to a place called Horeb. You might know it as Mount Horeb. It's where Moses went up on the mountain and saw the Shekinah glory of God. It's where God met with the children of Israel. Elijah said, I'm in trouble, my life is in danger, I'm tired, I'm worn out, i got to get to God. You know the one thing Elijah did that was right in all this? When he got tired and he became afraid, he didn't run away from God, he ran toward God. And you and I are going to get tired, and we're going to get afraid. And if we are going to make it, you've got to run toward God. He loves us more than we will ever love ourselves. He wants to help me more than I want Him to help me. And whenever I get nervous and I run away from God, I run to drugs or I run to alcohol or I run back to the world or I run to other things other than God, I always end up in a mess. we got thousands of people all around us running to all those other things because they're in trouble. we got people that are depressed that are running to suicide. Because they don't know that God is the answer, and he is. So number one, he ran toward God. When he ran toward God, number two, God helped him. Let me give you five things that God did for him. Number one, he provided the needs he had for his journey. That's the food the angel gave him so he could get to God. If you run to God, whatever your need is, God will provide the need that you have for your journey. Number two, he taught Elijah to trust him. He said, Elijah, if you're going to make it in life, you've got to learn to trust me, and you've got to stop trusting yourself. Why are you afraid of Jezebel? Hey, Elijah, did you cause the fire to come down that burnt up the sacrifice? No. God would say, I did that. Did you provide the food from the ravens? Did you cause the oil to multiply? Did you cause the flour to continue? No. I did that, God would say. Did you bring the widow's son back to life? Uh, Elijah, no, that that was me, God. You've got to learn to trust me. We can spend our whole life trusting ourselves and stay miserable. Or we can finally learn that God loves us and he's going to take care of us and trust him. Now, learning to trust God is a process. We trust him. We worry a little bit. In my case, sometimes a lot. He takes care of it in spite of me, and my faith gets a little stronger. And every time that little process takes place, I learn to trust God a little bit better. You know, the deal is, you and I can't learn to trust God unless we go through situations in our life where we have to. So we've got to do that. So we can't learn to trust God if everything's on easy street. You see, the Bible says the trying of our faith is what builds that faith, okay? So, he provided his needs. He taught him to trust him. Number three, this is great to me, he listened to his complaints. You know how many times Elijah complained to God twice? God came to him and said, Why are you here? Well, I'm here because nobody's living for you anymore. They're killing all the prophets of God. They're trying to kill me. And I'm the only one left. I am the only faithful believer in this whole group. And he's telling God this. He's complaining. You know what I noticed about this? I noticed what God did not do. God did not, for example, say, Elijah, you big wimp. Stop complaining. Just get up and do what you're supposed to do. Elijah, what is wrong with you? I can't. If I've told you once, Elijah, I've told you a thousand times. You don't have to worry. Elijah, are you kidding me? After all I've done for you, after all you've seen me do, are you kidding me, Elijah? You still are complaining? You know, I noticed nowhere in here did God say any of those things. You know what he did? He listened to his complaint, and then he lovingly provided a solution you know why we have a hard time sometimes just being honest with God? Because we're afraid God will react like people do. Those things I just said are common things that you might imagine people saying to you. The great thing is God ain't a people. He's God. And He loves us more than we love ourselves. And you know what? He wants to hear your complaint. By the way, when we pour out our heart to God... Who does that help, us or God? Helps me. I get it off my chest. I mean, don't you feel better when you've got something pinned up in you and you can get it off your chest and share it with somebody? Well, how about sharing it with somebody who can do something about it? His name is God, and he wants you to. He going not get mad at you. He loves you. And by the way, he already knows it anyway. The pouring out of our heart, like your life, it's for us. It helps us feel better. So he listened to Elijah's complaint. Number four, he then provided him instruction. He told him what to do. And then number five, he gave him the help that he needed. What was it? Well, he said, I want you to go here. Remember back to where he came from. Elisha, like Ed talked about today, is going to be there. He'll help you. You're going to have a partner. And then, by the way, I just want to remind you, there's a whole lot of people around here that have not bowed the knee to Baal, and you're not the only one. You know what God did? When Elijah ran to God, God provided all these things. But there was something that I noticed in the end that he provided that I think may have been the greatest key to Elijah going on. That was he provided other people. To go with him. He showed him all these other people that were walking the same way he was. That had not bowed their knee to Bell. There are other believers around here, Elijah. You're not the only one. You know why? Because believers need believers. That's why we have a class. That's why we gather like this. That's why we do what we do together. That's why we're going back to just being young professionals. Because we need each other. We can't do life by ourselves. First of all, it's no fun. And second of all, it's too hard. We need each other. Number two, he provided an Elisha, a close partner. You know, everybody needs that. We all need that. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every Paul needs a Barnabas. We all need that. Every Elijah needs an Elisha. If God has never provided someone like that for you. Someone who loves God with you, who wants to live for God, who's going through the same type of struggle as you are, and that you bond together and support each other and you help each other, almost like a mentor, an accountability partner, a best friend. Everybody needs that. So ask God to give you that if you don't have that. And by God's grace, when life seems to be unlivable, remember, Run to God. He'll make life livable again. And not only livable, He'll make it great. Father, thank you for the answer to life's difficulties in the Bible. Thank you for what you did for Elijah. And Father, I would tell you that we're all going to need that same help at some point in our life, if not right now. Father, help us to love each other, to love you, to encourage one another, and Lord, to live life doing what you've made us to do. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.